0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale
1: University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for the second of two podcasts is Dr. Stephen Gortmaker, professor of the practice of health sociology, Department of Society, Human Development and Health at the Harvard School of Public Health. Dr. Gortmaker is a prolific researcher and has done very influential work in a variety of areas pertaining to diet, nutrition, and obesity. And in particular, he's done work on the topic of the intake of sugar-sweetened beverages. So we'd like to talk about that today. So welcome, Steve. Glad to have you here. Thanks, Kelly. So you've done a lot of work over the years on this particular category of food, sugar-sweetened beverages. Uh, First, what products are we talking about when we describe that category? Well, we... um Uh, define sugar
0: sweetened beverages as consisting of all of your uh, things like sodas uh, fruit drinks uh, sports drinks Um, I think um, those cover a lot of the um, um, uh, different types of drinks we're talking about but there are are literally hundreds and hundreds um, if not thousands of products across the United States and to tell you the truth a lot of people get really confused when they hear that phrase but sodas fruit drinks sports drinks and of course uh the energy drinks uh really are with the bulk of them
1: okay sweetened teas
0: that's right i've the, vita- the vitamin teas. waters of the world or was.
1: sweetened uh, coffees or okay, yes. so those would all fall the vitamin waters category. yes so can you explain some of the research that you've done on um, the consumption patterns of these and what impacts they might be having on health mm-hmm. well i guess the first Research
0: we had done uh, was just longitudinal research linking increases in sugar-sweetened beverage intake to increases in both obesity and BMI, Um, and those findings were pretty um, stunning in some ways to me. Up until that point, a lot of my nutrition colleagues had said, oh, you'll never be able to show a relationship of a particular food um, to an outcome like uh, BMI or obesity, but we found that, in fact, you could, um, in part because children and youth consume so many of them, lots of calories. And then there was lots of change over time in their behavior. So uh, that was the first study we did in the Lancet in 2001. And uh, it's uh, that relationship uh, has been held up in uh, literally hundreds of studies after that. Uh, I think the um, studies in all countries or, or a lot of different countries, lots of different populations, um, intervention studies, observational studies <clears throat> all the stronger designs show these same relationships, and yet they 're not
1: surprising. Uh, if you consume sugar water you 'll gain a little extra weight that 's the thing that uh, that amazes me since we 're doing some of the, some work in the same area that um, the companies uh, the people who sell these sort of things will say that oh there 's really no relationship between consumption of these beverages. And ill health effects like obesity and diabetes. Well, first, there's the robust science on it, and you talked about hundreds of studies. Um, and then there's the common sense that you mentioned, that if you're drinking a bunch of sugar water with no nutrition, of course, it's going to contribute to these these sort of health problems. So if you just would summarize the, the scientific literature in this in your own mind, would you say the evidence linking the consumption of these beverages to obesity and diabetes is strong, quite strong, extremely strong? What would you say? Yeah, but I think it's very
0: strong. And as we learn more about how different individuals respond to sugar water, I think it'll become even more apparent that certain parts of the population are even more susceptible to the effects of these substances uh, than other parts of the population. Um, and that will make it even more important to understand these effects because the effects will be very large among some parts
1: of the population. Do you believe that um, when you talk about uh, vulnerability in some parts of the population, are there any data out there that would suggest that consumption of these beverages would constitute higher risk for some groups of individuals over others?
0: I think uh, uh, people have given these glucose uh, tolerance tests to uh, groups of individuals and find that some parts of the population react more to them. And I think, Uh, That literature is growing, and I just think that that'll provide uh, some
1: really useful insights in the future. Um, Why do you think the consumption of these beverages is so bad? I know a number of people have talked about the metabolic effects on the way the body handles sugar uh, issues, such as the body doesn't seem to recognize calories very well when they come in liquids. Do you think those are compelling reasons to uh, kind of create a link between the beverage consumption and negative health outcomes?
0: yeah I think the um well, just the fact that you can consume so many calories so quickly uh well that kids can uh, uh in particular um the fact that they've been so effectively branded and marketed at the kids uh the fact that we require uh water i mean it's absolutely essential to life and um and the whole industry has grown up around uh, replacing Water, which is actually quite inexpensive in most settings, with a more expensive substance that's not good for you. And yet, um, we really like sugar. Our bodies, um, in general, most people um, like sugar. And so, it's been a highly successful product that's just not good for you
1: and leads to excess weight gain and health effects. Um, You talked a little bit about the marketing of these things, but what what does the marketing landscape look like? terms of what kids especially you're exposed to well I'm not an expert on the marketing
0: uh, you're probably more of an expert on that but I've been stunned really by the um, extent to which um, huge amounts of money have been spent to understand um, how to make these substances appeal to kids and really to appeal to them in the sense of building a loyalty over a lifetime um, They've been just so successful at this, and um, to build this kind of loyalty and strong feelings and emotions around um, drinks that aren't good for you is really amazing. Um, uh, Perhaps for uh, for me the most stunning example is to think of professional athletes. Baseball players, for example, in general— don't need to drink a lot of sugar water. Um, And a lot of baseball players will drink um, water, although for many years, I know, they were required to drink water out of Gatorade um, uh, containers uh, or cups because um, I think Major League Baseball was just getting too much money from the manufacturers. And with the fact that you had so many pro um, baseball players promoting all forms of sugar water on making millions out of it uh, when you know they don't need it. Um, it, It's just the height of hypocrisy, but you know it's having a profound effect on children. And uh, having uh, coached a bit um, in baseball and basketball, it would just drive me nuts. Kids were not burning any calories um, during games, but they kept on wanting to bring all their uh,
1: sugar water to the games. The companies that sell these products um, will say that Uh, we're only a minority of calories and there are a lot of things contributing to obesity. So why are you isolating us or discriminating against us? What's your response to that? Well, the average
0: um, child is consuming uh, roughly 200, 250 calories from sugar water every day. Typical high school male, upwards of 350, uh, 400 calories a day. And while that may be only part of our daily caloric needs. It's a huge number. It's, in fact, the number that's large enough to be
1: easily driving and causing the obesity epidemic. So I assume, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that you would favor policies that would help discourage consumption of these products.
0: Oh, sure. I mean, they, they're they not useful uh, to your body. Whether well, they're not useful for your health. Um, Water is much better for you, and there are and other drinks that you can have that have more healthful components in them. And so if there are ways to really
1: limit access to sugar-sweetened beverages in public settings, like schools, I'm all for it. Now, you've you've done pioneering work on health promotion programs for youth in um, your Planet Fitness work and other things. And also you've thought about these structural changes with, in policies. So what do you think about the relative emphasis that should be placed on educating people about the negative consequences of these products versus going in and changing the environment, like getting rid of them in schools or hospitals or municipal settings, taxes and the like. How, if you were in charge of policy for a state, let's say, how would you deploy your resources into education versus the structural environmental changes?
0: Well, I think that um, ideally I would like, like to do both. I'd like to have some support for educational programs that can teach children about about healthier eating, nutrition, physical activity. We have a a middle school program, Planet Health, uh, that has a pretty good lesson about sugar. I said Planet Fitness, didn't I? That's a commercial (laughs) commercial (laughs) gym. Sorry. But uh, uh, sugar-sweetened beverages, and um, it's a pretty good lesson that talks about that. It would be great if kids understood the physiology of why you don't need this uh, sugar water. Uh, at the same time, perhaps the most cost-effective approaches, the best value for money approaches if you're a state official, would be things like um, in the city of Boston our Mayor, uh, Menino, uh, banned sugar-sweetened beverages in the schools. Um, it didn't cost the school system much to do that and it had a nice effect uh, that was documented in reducing consumption of sugar-sweetened beverages among kids from a state perspective um, a very cost-effective strategy, best value for money for a state official, is to put an excise tax on sugar-sweetened beverages. You're going to save money in term, long-term in terms of your Medicaid expenditures. You're going to improve the health of the population, lower the BMI of that population, and actually bring in a lot of tax dollars that you can use and spend for other health promotion programs. It's a bit of a no-brainer, but, uh, of course, not too many states have... Um, Uh, but engaged in this, an excise tax of about one cent per ounce would be a substantial one. A number of states have a couple pennies um, sales tax on sugar-sweetened beverages, but if you really want to really substantially alter children's intake of sugar-sweetened beverages, you probably want to go at the level of a penny-an-ounce excise tax, which is not a sales tax but something that just appears right in the shelf price.
1: And the argument that this would be a regressive tax?
0: Well, we've actually studied it a bit and calculate that if you have less money, if you're poor, it'll actually save you money in the sense that you'll consume less beverage at the higher price. And if you're really concerned about the regressive nature of a tax like that at the state level, you can always spend some of the millions of dollars you'd bring in with the tax receipts on programs uh, to help those who are less uh,
1: advantaged and have lower incomes and take care of that regressivity issue. Well, thank you so much for sharing this with us. Uh, One of the reasons I admire your work is you go all the way from looking at some of the epidemiology of these things, the link between consumption of these beverages and health through education programs and schools through modeling of these big public policies. So you have a a view of this that very few people have. So I'm very uh, happy you joined us today. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Kelly. So our guest is Dr. Stephen Gortmaker, professor in the Harvard School of Public Health and a very influential researcher in helping the nation think through about Uh, think through issues of public policy and obesity. Please visit our website, and you'll find that at www.yalerudcenter.org, where we have a variety of resources on a wide array of public policy issues regarding diet, nutrition, and obesity, and of course links to other podcasts from visitors to the Rudd Center. Thank you.